Welcome to this week's episode of BusinessWise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian, philosopher, and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. Last episode was an introduction to a series we are doing on L. Ron Hubbard's famous Administrative Scale of Importances, which is usually described as the admin scale. This is an extremely broad topic because the admin scale embraces all aspects of management, frankly. In fact, its correct use is part of one of the definitions Mr. Hubbard gives for the word management. And I quote him here. He says, and this is from the reference we're going to be digging into here. He says, the skill with which all these items in any activity are aligned and gotten into action is called management. End quote. So there's Mr. Hubbard's definition of management in the article where he describes the admin scale. More on that in a second. So with that in mind, we've been talking about the admin scale more or less for almost three years, as long as we've been recording business-wise. But you may not have been aware of that. But of course, the more aware of it you are, the more this priceless tool is of value to you. But you might be surprised at how much you are already, quote, unconsciously, end quote, using it. So just as a reminder, uh, because we want every episode of Business Wise to stand alone, I will list out the items level by level of the admin scale. So from the first in sequence, which is also the first in importance, the admin scale goes goals, top of the scale, purposes, policy, plans, programs, projects, orders, ideal scenes, statistics, valuable final products is the final level of the scale. We had an introductory episode, last episode of BusinessWise. Now we're going to take up each level of the admin scale, obviously starting with goals, which is today's episode. Uh, but you probably should review the earlier, our last episode. And then if you want to dig in on goals, we covered goals extensively uh, already in earlier episodes. This episode is going to bring you more information, data on the subject. But you have episode 40 of volume one titled, What is a Goal Maker? Then you have episode 53, volume one quality of goals and expansion. And finally, we have episode 52, volume two, the two types of goals. So uh, we've covered this in at least three earlier episodes, might have covered them in a few others, but those are the ones I uh, come to mind. You can look those up in the archives and listen to those. You don't have to listen to those before you listen to this episode. I just want to clarify that, but do make sure if you want more information on goals that you do take in those episodes. All right. Now, I want to delve into a little bit more here why I say uh, we've been studying the admin scale all along, and you've probably been using it all along, even though you may not have been aware of that. So let's take some examples. So anytime you find someone issuing an order, for instance, let's say you have a junior executive, and that order seems a little off to you because it doesn't match your ideal scene. These are both levels of the admin scale, orders and ideal scene. Uh, say somebody tells one of the staff to store all the chairs from the event 
in the back stairwell. And you go, hell no, that's not my ideal scene. Put them in the shed I bought for that purpose in the back parking lot. And then you correct the executive that gave the order. You're using an admin scale, aren't you? You are issuing orders that align to your ideal scene. The problem is, if you've never really closely defined your ideal scene in every aspect of your organization, then let's say you know where you want the staff to stow the chairs, but you've not envisioned the ideal scene for your sales area. Let's just take a a vital area like sales, right? Well, you're probably going to issue orders to your salespeople that don't match up to your goals. They don't match up to your ideal scene. You don't know what your ideal scene. You may not even know what your goals are exactly because we never define those either. So your salespeople... You, you kind of go, well, look, you know, uh, to be a salesperson in this business, you need to be a technical person. So now you're trying to get all your technical people to be salespeople. And that doesn't really work because they don't really like sales. But you don't trust slick salespeople because you've got the wrong ideal scene for a salesperson. So now your tech people are trying to do sales and they're making a hash of it because they don't have a clue what they're doing. And you really don't either. And maybe you personally hate sales anyway. And then you know, ask yourself, well, what's my purpose anyway? So your, your whole admin scale, yes, you've been using it unconsciously, but if you are aware of the admin scale and you actually draw it up, now you can use it as a tool. You're aware of what you're doing and you can say, oh, wow, that doesn't line up on the admin scale. Let's try some management to get all these things lined up, okay? So you start to see what I mean here. So in other words, you start ordering into a scene where you don't have an ideal scene that matches your goals and your purposes, well, you're going to have a group that, uh, as Mr. Hubbard describes it, is, quote, slow, inefficient, unhappy, inactive, or quarrelsome, end quote. Sports teams uh, probably go through this. My hockey team is in a rebuild, and I don't think they've done their admin scale yet, and it really doesn't look like they've nailed their ideal scene. I love them anyway, but it sure would help them to draw up an admin scale. That would be a very easy example is to apply an admin scale to a sports team. Anyway, so let's take the first level on the scale, which is goals. Uh, We don't like repeating data in business-wise. So the data I give you today builds on the earlier episodes I mentioned before. This episode stands by itself, but you would be wise, haha, to catch the earlier episodes if you want to know more on, on goals. All right. Now we have a few words or terms to clear up. Let's start with the word goal itself. In the basic reference on the admin scale, which is dated 6 December 1970, Mr. Hubbard distinguishes goals from purposes. Now this is a common confusion between uh, for the members. Like what's the difference between goals and purposes? It's defined right in that article. And he states the following, quote, we define a goal as a whole track long long-term matter, and a purpose as a lesser goal applying to specific activities or subjects, end quote. So the goal is a long, long long-term item. It's whole track. What's whole track? Well, if you consider time as moving on a track, like a railroad track, You have a lifetime within that track. You have one. I have one. We're all experiencing or living a lifetime. But a whole track would be beyond our lifetimes. It goes into the future. It goes into the past. That would be the whole track. And then you and I take a little segment of it, and we call it a lifetime. 
Okay, so you've got the whole track. Goals are a whole track. They're long, long term. So it goes beyond uh, a single lifetime. I might, for instance, have a goal to make the Hubbard management system the most accepted and broadly used management system on the planet. That's a goal. My receptionist might have a purpose to pleasantly and efficiently receive and route communications and particles to the correct terminal or individual. Terminal is another word for receipt point and emanation point of the communication, so an individual. So that might be my receptionist's purpose, that they pleasantly and efficiently receive and route communications and particles. Particles could be packages. It could be people. They could be uh, supplies. So that receptionist pleasantly and efficiently receives and routes communications and particles of the correct terminal or individual. That purpose lines up to the goal, doesn't it? My receptionist would have a purpose that lines up to that goal. So uh, there's your admin scale is, is, is uh, appropriate. It's accurate. But let's say one of my speakers uh, might have a purpose to, say, impress all the attendees at a seminar with their brilliance so that they have an impressive reputation in the business world. That's a purpose, all right, but it doesn't really align to the goal. You see that? So his or her delivery of Hubbard Management will probably be a little bit off because their purpose is not 100% lined up with the goal. And we've all seen speakers like that where they seem to be more interested in attracting attention to themselves than they are to the subject. I'm not saying that's bad. It really depends on their admin scale. If that's their admin scale and their goal is to be, you know, the next big business guru, then then that probably lines up. But if it's not, uh, then it doesn't. You see that? So the goal is a bigger, more embraceive, longer term item, and it's senior to the purposes. So the purposes have to line up to the goal. Okay, so now we're going to delve into what is without a question. One of the most important articles L. Ron Hubbard ever wrote on the subject of management, and it's entitled An Essay on Management, and was written way back on 9 January 1951, and is one of the, if not the earliest writing of his that I'm aware of anyway, on the subject. And in this article, he dwells considerably on the subject of goals. And I think most of the earlier episodes I referenced, you know, earlier on in this podcast, I believe they're all derived from this same article. It's, it's a long article, and I have chosen one section of it to go over with you in detail. Now, Mr. Hubbard's, you've probably already discovered this, but Mr. Hubbard's vocabulary is considerable, to say the least. And he uses several words here you may not be familiar with, so let's make sure you understand them. The first of these is catalyze, C-A-T-A-L-Y-Z-E. And that means to cause or accelerate a reaction by acting as a catalyst, which is something that gets things going, I guess you could say. Uh, Another nuance of the definition, cause an action or process to begin. So they give uh, an example here. The tragic event helped to catalyze the already growing popular anger. So it's, it's something that causes a reaction. It gets things started or moving. And it comes from uh, Latin, Greek, catalusis, uh, from cataluin, dissolve, from cata down, luin, loosen. So it's, it starts a reaction. 
the chemical reaction. He also uses the word provision, and he uses it as a noun, and it means the action of providing or supplying something for use. Or it could also be an amount or thing supplied or provided. I'm going through these fairly quickly. And that comes from uh, late Middle English, uh, from Old French, from Latin provisio, from providari, which means foresee. So from pro comes from before and videri to see. So provision is to provide something that you expect will be needed. He also uses the word specious, which is a terrific word, which means having a false look of truth or genuineness. So it's a specious uh, plan. It looks good, but it's all probably evil or a specious idea. And that comes from late middle English uh, in the sense of beautiful, from Latin speciosus, fair, from species. Didn't really think of that, but species has the same derivation, which is beautiful. Okay. And then he also uses the technical term ARC, letters A, R, and C, which is a word from the initial letters of affinity, reality, communication, which together equate to understanding. And it's pronounced by stating its letters, A-R-C. It comes to mean uh, good feeling, love, or friendliness. It equals understanding. A is space and the willingness to occupy the same space of. So, you know, if you have affinity for someone, you want to be in the same space as them. If you don't have affinity, you want to get away from them. R equals mass or agreement. Like, wow, that uh, brick wall is really real. It's got a lot of mass, but there's also a lot of agreement that it's there, right? So reality can also be, you know, we both have reality on what it's like to lead a group, for instance. That would be agreement. Yeah, no, that can be challenging. So that's reality. I have reality with that guy. C equals energy or recognition. Obviously, communication, uh, Mr. Hubbard's definition or formula, cause, distance, effect. And I say it's Mr. Hubbard's definition, but it is his discovery, really, that that is communication. And you can have communication of words, thoughts, footballs, baseballs, particles, lumber. That's all communication. Okay? So that's the word ARC. Then he uses the word subservient which means less important or subordinate. That comes from Latin, subservient, subjecting to, complying with. Um, now, this is another technical word coined by Mr. Hubbard, theta, which is thought or life force. Another term for it is elan vital, the spirit, the soul, or any other of the numerous definitions that it has had for some thousands of years. So we're talking about life force, theta. And it also means reason or serenity, stability, happiness. It actually comes from the Greek letter for thought or life or the spirit, which is the letter theta. It's a Greek letter. And you've got another word he uses in this article, enmest. Now, mest comes from matter, M, energy, E, space, S, and T, time. So that's your physical universe. Yeah, Mr. Hubbard coined the word mest, which is from the first letters of each of those things, a material universe opposed to the spiritual universe or theta or thought or life force, which isn't really of the same category of energy and, 
in mass, right? So the word end mist means interbulated mist. So interbulated would mean, uh, well, it's messed up. It's like if you watch water interbulates as it, you know, crashes over the rocks and uh, disperses and so forth. So end mist means interbulated mist, which is mist that's been disordered, confused, made less usable, or put into a bad condition, like an old rundown car. Be classified as end mist. And then um, asperity, the word asperity, A-S-P-E-R-I-T-Y, harshness of tone or manner. He uses that word in this article as well. And then Mr. Hubbard coined the word arduous, which means uh, actions which are difficult. Comes from the word arduous. Comes from the Latin ardu, which means high or steep or difficult. Arduous. And then uh, the last word we'll look at here is clarion, which is a shrill, narrow-tubed war trumpet. It can also mean, used in a literary sense, loud and clear. Clarion call for freedom. That comes from the Latin word claris, which is clear. Okay, enough of the words. Let's tackle this article. It's called An Essay on Management. This is a section called Spheres of Action. And he starts this section by saying, a group then can be seen to have three spheres of interest and action. The first is the postulation of goals. The second is management. The third is the group itself, the executors of the plans, procurers of the means, and enjoyers of the victories. So any group, to be a true group, has to, these are Mr. Hubbard's words now, I'm using mine to give you an example, is always made up, if it's correctly formed, of three segments. You've got the goal making, you could call it the board of directors, you could call it the owner, you could call it the founder, you could call it the healer or doctor. But that is a particular role called goal-making. And then you have a group called management, which guides the third segment, groups, towards the goal. This is very important to understand because a lot of goal-makers get confused and start making themselves management. The moment they do that, they are combining two levels and it doesn't work. And a lot of you are listening to this right now go, that is true. Because you started something with a vision. You started something, your company, with a goal and specific goals and a long-term vision for what you were trying to create. And there's a lot of resentment often from the goal finder that they find themselves managing. You shouldn't be finding yourself managing. You should be finding yourself managers. That's what you should be finding, right? And Mr. Howard goes on to say this. These three factors or divisions must be satisfied to have a successful group or actually a true group. The divisions are not particularly sharp. The desires and thoughts of the body of the group influence and catalyze and are factually part of the goal dreamer. The dreamer is very intimate to the group. 
and is catalyzed. He gets inspired by the group, is in close communication with the group. That's why he's the dreamer or she's the dreamer. She's they're creating a vision and it's brought about through their interaction with the group. Okay. Management has to have the support of the group and the provision of the group to proceed at all and thus must have the agreement of the group for the best and most economical execution of orders. So management, here's your goal finder. They're in communication with their group. They got all excited. The group gets excited. The, man, the, the goal finder gets excited, but the management has to figure out, okay, I need this group. I need their provision. I need their production. I need the things that they produce so that I can, you know, bring this whole thing together and start to realize this dream here of this visionary. So that's management's job. They're sort of sandwiched in the middle here. So, and you better have agreement as a manager of your group, right? This is Mr. Hubbard again. Management must have the confidence of the planning echelon or the planning echelon is liable to include the reform of management as part of the dream. Yeah, management, you better get along well with your goal finder or that goal finder is going to find a goal and a vision to get rid of you, okay? So the goal maker must be accepted and trusted by management or management will begin to look around for a new goal maker. And being management, not a goal maker, may take up with some highly specious ideas which management might then seek to make a sub-echelon to itself. And then he qualifies, he says, the thing which causes most nations to cave in and most companies to collapse. Boy, you can see examples of that going on today, where countries, without their goal makers, the management, which is the government part, right, starts to figure out, well, I guess we can be goal finders. And the next thing you know, you've got, they've created the sub-echelon under themselves. Instead of having a goal maker that they're managing towards, they start taking on a goal-making function, which is usually specious. It's usually covert. It's actually not even, it tends to be serving the management echelon rather than the vision because they're not goal-makers, they're managers, okay? So goal-makers don't make very good managers, or they could, but once they do become managers, they are, of course, less the goal-maker. Similarly, management must remain management because the moment they start playing the goal-making game, you start having some pretty twisted goals. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that right now in uh, countries today and companies. You see it on a more microcosmic level, right? So then he goes on. He says, there are three divisions of action then, which are interactive and interdependent. ARC amongst these three must be very high. Now, you probably already got that idea from what we just went over in the last paragraph. You know, if the dreamer it has to be in communication with the group to create the uh, vision and management has to have agreement of the goal finder and goal finder must have agreement of management. You see, it's all back and forth. All these three points, these three segments must be in close, close ARC. So Mr. Robert says, ARC amongst these three must be very high. A group which is hated by its management, often the case in the military, often gets wiped out. A whole system may be destroyed, as in American industry, when management and the group decide to become two camps. We're management. You're the group. You're the laborers. We're management. Let's have a game of fighting each other. That's really productive. Take a look at where it's taken this country, okay? Then he goes on to say this. The death of the goal maker is not destructive to a group, but even sometimes aids it, but only so long as a dream itself lives and is kept living. 
You're looking at a, a horrendous battle today to keep the vision of the framers of the Constitution and the founders of this country to keep those goals alive and those visions alive right now. And um, the fact that they are long dead and buried does not mean that their dream and vision has not been powerful and helped to create the most powerful country in the world. But they're under jeopardy right now. And, and interestingly enough, this country, America, uh, may not be the most powerful country in the world at this point. And uh, it is quietly being destroyed by destroying that vision. Okay. Mr. Harper goes on and says, a management, for instance, which would interpose for the good of the group, quote unquote, between the goal maker and the group is leveling death at the group by perverting and interpreting the character of the goal. See? Oh, well, you know, we've got to do this for the good of everybody. We're going to interpose this usually slick, specious uh, agenda. Sounds good, looks good. They're from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. Let's form a socialism. That way everybody gets taken care of. Sounds great. Destroying the country. It's destroyed countries already. Why would we be going down that road again? Just look at history. Now, of course, we're doing it for the good of everybody, even though everybody's suffering. Yeah. Don't get me started. Management cannot concern itself with the overall goal or plan. It can only execute and expedite the plans of accomplishing the goal and relegate its own planning to ways and means planning, not goal planning. So, yes, management does planning, but not goal planning. They don't set the overall vision. They don't set the overall direction. And then he says, listen to this, the traffic between the group and the goal maker should be direct and clean of all, quote, interpretations, end quote. Unless management wishes to destroy the group, in which case it should, by all means, undertake an interruption of communication between the goal maker and the group. Well, look at the amount of interpretation that's going on in the Constitution right now in America. I hate to keep coming back to that, but it's such a great example. You know, it's all being interpreted and it's being twisted. The place of the goal maker is in the marketplace with the group or off somewhere sitting down thinking up a new idea. The place of management is in the halls, palaces, arsenals, and timekeepers' cages behind the judge's bench and in the dispatcher's tower. Management leads the charge after the goal finder has assigned the cause of the campaign. Now, of course, we're using big, beautiful, you know, national type examples, but your own company, you better start coming up with some good goals for people. If you want to excite a group and get them, if you've got big expansion ideas and ideals, make sure you burnish up those goals. You make them known and you're in there elbow to elbow with your group and you're kind of getting a feel for what they're passionate about and what you can and inspire you to create even greater vision. And that's the way you build a big company. This is probably what Apple did. You know, it's what Ford certainly did. You know, people got behind that vision and they were willing to work pretty darn hard to realize a vision that, that caught on because these visionaries, these goal makers were in tune with the group and management. They're running around trying to figure out how do we put it all together? That's our job, you know? We're in the timekeeper's cage. We're, we're there to make sure people are working. They got their nose to the grindstone. 
you know, that's management now. And how do we coordinate this? And how do we organize this? And the goal maker is making more dreams. Next thing you know, you turn around, here's another dream. You know, of course, goal maker has a responsibility to make sure those things are lined up. They, they're responsible for the top of the admin scale. So they better make sure that those aren't discoordinated or, or themselves dispersing to the group. That's the role of the goal maker. Has to hold together, has to have a cohesive vision. He goes on to say this, management is subservient to goals, but goal finding is not in command of management. I repeat, management is subservient to goals, but goal finding is not in command of management. So long as a management realizes this, it will continue in a healthy state as management and the group modified by natural factors such as food, clothing, and general abundance will remain in excellent condition. So management's not in command of the goals and goal finding is not in command of management. It's like there is a symbiosis that has been created there. And then the group will cooperate as long as management realizes this role and makes sure that there's adequate things that people don't go hungry and uh, their lives are so uncomfortable that they end up rebelling. That's management's job. Okay, so when management fails to realize this, the goal maker even when he is merely an individual who enjoys the making of vast fortunes, shifts the management. Okay, management, you're not playing ball. You're not, you're not in communication with the group. You're not making sure that you're taking care of the group. You're not taking care of the goals. You're out of there. When the goal maker is actually high theta and management forgets the quality of ideas or doesn't ever quite realize their potency, then again and more so, management will be tumbled around. For a theta goal maker has behind him a group and in a moment can become much more group than management and easily empties out the halls and palaces. A management that discredits its goal maker or perverts the communication of goals, of course, dies itself, but in dying may also kill a group. You're seeing that right now. There's a lot of resentment towards management in America at the moment, probably speaking for many other countries, as these management echelons uh, cease to be in close awareness, communication, ARC with the group. And even though the goal makers aren't really around right now uh, of this country, there's enough people around who uh, still want that vision and want to keep that vision bright. There's creating a tremendous amount of strife in uh, the United States of America at this moment. Mr. Trevor goes on to say, management often takes the goal maker into its confidence and requests the solution to various problems. Now, this is not unusual in companies uh, where the goal maker is still alive. You know, he's founded a company, he's running the company, he's got a vision, and management comes to him and says, hey, can we get some solutions? Like, you're so smart and you created this whole thing and it's your dream after all. And, you know, what can we do here? But listen to what his, Mr. Hubbard says. He says, management should understand that when it does such a thing, it is not taking conference with more management for the advice it will receive on technical problems, no matter how brilliant, is usually delivered with asperity, for the goal maker has no sight of tenuous lines of supply, quivering bank balances, raging labor leaders, leases and contracts unsigned or perilously inadequate. Look, goal maker is not management. So if you're going to them for management solutions, don't expect, they may be clever solutions, 
but they may be delivered with a lot of asperity. There might be a little bit of irritation here because, and it may not totally fit the scene because they're not management, are they? So they're not aware of every single facet of the problems that you're dealing with. So it's like, why aren't you just doing this? Or why aren't you just doing that? And uh, goal makers can get very irritated with management when management comes to them for solutions. Mr. Trevor goes on to say, the goal maker sees goals. Management sees obstacles to goals and ways of overcoming them. The first requisite of a goal maker is to see goals. Oh, this is such a beautiful sentence. The first requisite of a goal maker is to see goals which are attainable only by the most violent ardours and which are yet sparkling and alluring enough to lead forward and onward his own interest in the case of an end-mest goal maker, you know, somebody who's just looking for conquest and, you know, he's got sort of not the greatest goals, uh, but they're alluring. You know, there's greed involved, there's money, there's power, and people will get behind that. That would be an end-mest goal maker. We went into this in quality of goals, that earlier episode I mentioned. Or, Mr. Robert says, if he is a theta goal maker, his entire group. A theta goal maker is always setting goals that everyone wins. An NMS goal maker, it'll tend to be just a himself and maybe a small group that win. Okay. Management pants between the pressure of the group to attain the goal and the clarion call of the goal maker to go forward. Okay, you as a goal maker, your success depends to no small extent on the quality of the goals. And he says here, it's part of your job to see that goals that are attainable only by the most violent ardours. So th there's a lot of work involved, man. People have got to be dedicated. They've got to work their guts out to attain those things. Otherwise, what's this goal about? It's not that exciting. It's kind of dull. But here, no, this is going to take work. It's going to take, you know, there's danger involved. There's risk involved. You know, this is exciting. But it has to be sparkling, right? And the goals have to be have a sparkle. And they have to be alluring enough to lead forward and onward his own interest and that of the group, right? If he's a theta goal maker. And then the last paragraph in this uh, section of the article, he says, yet there are specific means by which management can lighten the burdens for itself, recover and retain its own breath and be highly successful as management, which means that the group by that management must be highly successful if the goals are kept bright. L. Ron Hubbard. So there you have it. You've got, you as management have this task of how do you leverage these beautiful goals in this group that wants to move forward? How do you balance these things? How do you coordinate these activities? If you can figure that part out, which you can by using the admin scale, you can easily coordinate all these things so the group is advancing, they're excited, the goals are bright. And uh, you as a goal maker, if you're wearing that goal maker hat, you know, setting up goals that are alluring, that are sparkling, that can only be achieved with some effort and work. You put those things all together and you've got a bunch of people now underneath you that you're managing correctly, that you're training, that you're hatting, that you're organizing. Man, you've got yourself a juggernaut. You've got yourself an unstoppable force. And that is achieved through lining up the elements of the admin scale. Okay? Look, this is uh, probably should be considered a double-wide episode. It is longer than most. There's no way I could avoid that. I warned you when we tackled the subject of the admin scale. 
This is not an easy thing to embrace in a few episodes. So this one's uh, a little bit longer. Hope you stuck with it to the end. And uh, I'll try to keep them the regular length, which is, you know, 20 to 25 minutes. But uh, hey, you, you asked me to do these episodes on the admin scale. So what can I say? It's very comprehensive. Hope you uh, got a lot out of this one. And um, leave us your comments. Uh, write us at info at wiseeastus.org. We'll be covering purposes next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next week.